0: Y'all ready to be history? Get started. Welcome. Hi. 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 Hello, everyone. To the Pro Audio Suite, thanks to Rode microphones. These guys are professional. They're motivated. Introducing Robert Marshall from Source Elements and Someone Audio Post Chicago. Darren Robo Robertson from Voodoo Radio Imaging Sydney. Tech tech to the VO stars, George the Tech Whitten from LA, <laughs> and me, Andrew Peters, voiceover talents and home studio guys.
1: Line up.
0: Welcome to another Pro Audio Suite. This week we're talking marketing, and if you're a first-time listener, it's working already. Uh, Our special (laughs) guest is Brad Newman, who has a company called Upper Level CRM. Welcome to the show, Brad.
2: Hey, man. Thanks so much for having me. We're talking about marketing. I thought we were talking about tech. Am I on the right show?
0: (laughs) We're talking
1: about both.
2: We're going to do both. (laughs) Okay, great.
0: (laughs) So give us a bit of background for anyone that doesn't know you. Uh, What is your background, and what do you currently do with Upper Level?
2: So, um, physics of uh, sound and light uh, is what I'm trained in. I'm a, a voice guy for 26 years. I own an audio post studio and uh, and a software company. And the software company has uh, two sides. We do the CRM, uh, which was originally what we founded the software company for. And uh, somebody graciously messed up on the hosting side of things about four years ago. And I had several talent that said, hey, can you fix this? So, somehow along the way, a couple of thousand uh, clients later on the hosting side, we I looked at my staff and I'm like, I guess we're doing hosting. So uh, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of my 26 year career in a nutshell. Wow, well, that was so fast. <laughs> it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We can make it longer. Don't worry. Do you
3: do, you do legal? Is, is 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 that the main voice work that you do?
2: Uh, no, not at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you do wear quite a few different hats. So what's your main focus?
2: You know, I focus on recurring work. I focus on building relationships instead of jobs in all that I do, whether it's the the hosting, whether it's the CRM, whatever it is. It's like build a relationship and people will pay you if you make their life easier. Like that's it. Like find out what their pain point is, find out what their problem is, make their life easier, remove all these obstacles that make things difficult and they will pay you more. They will throw money in your lap uh, if you just make the problems go away. So, it, it, to me, it becomes about customer service. Not necessarily that you have the ingredients to make the, you know, the pie. It's that the pie that you're going to make is going to be amateurish compared to the pie that I make. And not only that, but I remove all the headaches and the time that you're going to waste in that process. Because what I can do in an hour is going to take you ten. You want to do it? Do it. But you know, and so you build up enough business with enough good clients. And so no, I don't have a concern with it at all because I, I end up, I don't know if this is just luck or it's really service. I don't think it's luck. Um, the attrition rate on everything I do is ridiculously low. So for the hosting and the CRM, five years in business, not one customer has left. We're at zero, no attrition. And it's, you know, uh, the only people, uh, if they exit are going to be people that, you know, don't do VO anymore or so they don't need the website. But if you give people what they want, they will totally pay you for it. And case in point, you know, with George, and I don't know if I'm allowed to, to talk about all that per se, but he was going to do something and there was this a way that it could be confidential.
4: Okay. Don't tell anybody anything right. about my business. Cool. What do I do for a living or how I do it?
2: Thank you very much. <laughs> no, please proceed, <laughs> So, So there was, a, <laughs> there was a way that he could have had, you know, like his email and stuff sorted that like would have been free, um, you know, and from Google, you think Google would know what they're doing and they just turned it into a disaster. So I mean, it's a service that we do as far as migrating mail and we only charge people for it if they want it but the way we do it yeah. like we we created the workflow and the way that we do it it's not only near uh, near automatic but it's it's flawless and so you know George is like dude if you can make this headache go away no problem and you know boom the headache was gone Absolutely Dude
4: I mean I was using I'm using Google products and I'm using Squarespace and Hover these are three very very well respected service providers in the states here for these tools right but nobody could fix the problem I was running against, so I needed that guy. I needed the, I needed the cleaner, and that was Brad, yeah. and he took care of it. They just done.
2: They just want to point fingers instead of you know solving the problem. And Robert, I'm sure you've seen this too. Like, so you have this amazing product that I've used for so long. I don't know what I would have done without Source Connect coming on when it did, um, because when I moved again, it was fiber, and it's like, well, I I, I moved because of my you know my spouse's job moved at the time, and I had to move. And I don't know when you guys started selling it. I'm a, I want to say like 2005 is maybe the earliest I heard of it, but April 06, You know, here I am, and I picked this up, and it it really filled this void that I needed. But I'm sure you see that you have to support this for for all of your clients and I hear great things about it we you know like oh they just remoted right in and they clicked the buttons and they fixed this and I'm like there is value in somebody that can just nail it and get it done especially at a service level when so many other companies they level one guys reading from a script and all it is is a it is it's just a farm of dealing with the calls and pacifying people instead of solving the problem and if you if you can solve the problem then your day is smoother the people don't Continue to call like it works, and you just move on. And I don't. I just don't get why companies don't do that. It so, also
4: doesn't become a PR problem,
2: right? No, it becomes a PR positive, which I don't advertise. You know, a PR positive, right. right? I don't. I don't advertise upper level hosting. I don't advertise upper level CRM. Maybe beyond you know talking with you guys or something like this, but nobody listens to this podcast, so it doesn't matter. Um, but <laughs> the... <laughs> <laughs> hang on, our mums listen. Be be fair. Yeah. I, wow. I was. I was. I was waiting. I, I was waiting for the delayed laugh. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you guys can take the, the jab of the humor, um, yeah. but it's it it's the same thing. You know, the our clients literally will go on a Facebook group, and they just they sell our businesses for us because they're like I I I you know emailed Brad in five minutes. Like literally five minutes, he did this and this and this. And I love that I get the credit for it because I'm the only person that talks to my clients, but I have a staff of 25 people, but I'm the only one that's going to pick up the phone. You know, I will tell you a little secret that some of my staff emails is me, but if I'm talking to somebody, it's me. But we, but we solve a lot of problems and, and we, make it, we make it go easy. And if you do that, it is, it's that PR positive. I, Facebook groups day in, day out, I, it, I it becomes agree. a chain. Brad did we'll this. Find a pain point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One person will will do a thing and say that you know, oh, Brad did this, and that's that's nice in and of itself. But it's what what is really humbling is when fifty or sixty other people chime in on that just to say you know praises as well. And it's like they don't have to do that. So the fact that they comment is just astounding. I, I just I, the the when you find love within the people that have your product, that's that's just. You can't ask for more.
0: I'm having issues with my MySpace account. I don't know whether you can help me with that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) I'll Google how to delete that for you. (laughs) What what, what I think we can can really do if you're on a... If you're, on a window, yeah, Tom. if you're on a Windows machine, we can go into um, your hosts file and we can block the IP address for MySpace, and you won't see it. So you'll think the problem is solved. I'm sure there's an equivalent to that on a Mac, but everybody else will still know it's there. But you, for you, we'll tell you we deleted it. Well,
1: I think that's his problem, though, is that um, MySpace have stopped supporting Commodore 64 protocols. <laughs> Damn.
2: Yeah.
3: Uh...
0: <laughs> now speaking of uh, speaking yeah. of computers and stuff, you're using. Windows.
2: I am I'm Windows uh, all the way because I, I don't want to pay the Mac tax. The 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 hardware tax uh, mainly?
4: I think you pay the tax in different ways, Brad. There's different ways to pay a tax. You can either <laughs> I think I don't there's know. different that depends. taxes. I think when you are okay. People some people will buy a Mercedes and some people will buy a mm-hmm. 78 Chevelle, customize mm-hmm. it, hot rod it, it'll be faster mm-hmm. and handle better than the mm-hmm. Mercedes. And that's why I think there's two different markets out there and two different needs. So I think if you have the skill set that you have and you're, the familiarity you have with Windows and the ability to get out of the system what you want to get out of it, Windows is going to win hands down because of the um, the infinite uh, flexibility, customization, ability to build whatever you want and everything. And then for everybody else who shrieks in fear of the idea of having to do all those things or, you know, a lot of the other things that come with it, then for them, maybe there's Mac.
1: No.
2: No, and I get it. That's, you know, and that's valid. Like I said, there is value in paying for something that removes a pain point. It's just tech is not a pain point for me. And I, I mean, I can you know, build a machine in 2008 that I'm still running today that's faster than you know, uh, some of the newest Macs I can still buy off the shelf. Um, and the only issue is it didn't have USB-C. It's like, well, I, it's a PCI but, but card. I can drop that in and go. it's also faster
3: than some of the newest Windows machines you can buy off the shelf.
2: Yeah, well, definitely. That's a true statement. But I mean, you know, people, uh, I'm, I'm talking <laughs> even maybe maybe aside from uh, maybe the newest uh, Macs that are running like an M1 drive, you know, instead of a traditional SSD or something, um, you know, but again, that's something that can be, you know, relatively snapped into a, a machine. You swap out a motherboard and, and move on. But a lot of people are just not that savvy. I like building it and knowing what's in the recipe because then I know how to fix it. And that's really you know, what it, what's key for me. I like to learn, I like to teach um, myself because I don't wanna have to pay somebody else, but I, I thirst on that knowledge, it really makes me happy. Uh, but then I know exactly what's in there. So if something goes wrong, I know every little thing all along the way, and that allows you to be able to do more before it's really even publicly available. Um, you know, way off the topic of computers, but a, but an example of that is I took a lead acid battery and I put it in a gun case and all of the parts from Radio Shack when they were still in business. So this would have been um probably I would say 7 or 8 years ago, likely. But I made my own um I, I off the shelf parts uh, an inverter so I could have USB, I could have 12 volt, I could have 110. Uh I made my own, you know, portable uh, pack and you could get all the usb packs but i couldn't power my laptop on the flight to paris and have enough power to make it from from like texas to paris at the time and so i'm like great for for 85 bucks i was able to make it and you literally couldn't buy it off the shelf at that time now you can but there's still yeah, more than you get an ammo
4: case on the airplane brad come on man
2: <laughs> it's plastic, so so because I used all off the shelf parts, I had all the ma- material safety data sheets, and I literally went into the airport with the sheets and showed them what it was, and then i got I got because it's all off the shelf parts, and the tSA already on their website lists all of those parts as airline approved because it's just a connection of those parts, it therefore then is TSA certified and they let you bring it right on the plane. <laughs>
1: that's awesome. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to ask, regret asking this question, but then tell us about this PC you built in 2009 then that's still stomping ass.
2: Sure. So it's, uh, it's a um, Asus uh, P8... Uh, M, or no, it was a P8Z 68 Pro. I think it was originally it was an M, but the uh, the Z model lets you uh, overclock the chip. It lets you run a, a, a K. So it's got an Intel i7 2600K chip, so you can overclock it. And the ASUS um, BIOS also lets you overclock it, of which I still haven't had to do to date. Um, the only upgrade I've made on it is I re- swapped out the original hard drive that I had for a, uh, a, a terabyte uh, SSD Samsung drive. I used uh, G-Skill RAM in it, um, and it just, I mean, it smokes. I mean, you can run any benchmark performance test you want, um, and it—it there's just zero delay or, or lag or latency to it uh, whatsoever. It just chews through anything I give it. I can do audio and video and screen cap all at the same time.
4: I think what that says is that there hasn't been that much progress in chip development from Intel in the last 10 years, which is a true that statement. You, well,
2: you, you definitely hit the mark on the head right there. So the motherboard that I bought, and I can't take all the credit, I spec'd it all out and I built a machine. But, you know, George uh, topped in that you, it's hard enough to keep up with one particular brand and all the specs and stuff like that. So I, I utilize another resource like Anantech where you go onto the forum and be like, hey, I'm going to build this. And literally 13-year-old kids that do nothing but research everything else made two or three upgrades. They're like, oh, you might want to go with this uh, particular... With Sandy Bridge was the chipset because there's going to be one more uh, processor in that line, so later on you could actually even upgrade the chip. And I'm like, oh, good point. I didn't, I didn't catch that. So they made two or three uh, recommendations. And kept the same RAM, but they went uh, without the heat sink on it because the teeth added another quarter inch, and that quarter inch was going to hit the the Cooler Master uh, heat sink unit that was going to go on top uh, and, and cool this thing because the the uh, actual uh, heat sink and fan on it is got to be a good uh, like seven or eight inches tall. Like it's got a massive uh, a yeah. heat sink on it to keep everything cool. But you know, they made one or two tips, so use those resources that are out there and take people's feedback. But um, but yeah, no, it's a great machine, and uh, it still just, you know, churns through it. Did you include a limited slip differential with it? Yeah, you know, I thought that would have been a good thing because I didn't want one wheel to spin out while the other one was stuck. It, when you, when you <laughs> try to torque it and hold the brake, that could be a problem, but... But no, I, did, I didn't need that. Oh, I, uh, yeah. I, I decided to go with all-wheel drive and the chassis. And, and then what I, what I did is I took that and way before Tesla had a computer in their car, I, I mounted um, my old 8088 and, and Google Maps on a SD <laughs> card. And <laughs> When
1: I was building my computer, I had a, bit of, a tr- bit of trouble getting the whatchamacallit to link up to the what's-a-doozy.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah. That, that, was tough that too. probably through a, a uh, ID10T error for sure.
1: Yeah, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean,
4: you know, I built a PC many years ago. It was a Pentium four in a rack case, and that thing was in service at Steve Nafshin's bridge out of here as an mm-hmm. uh, Audio TX machine until mm-hmm. it was pulled out of service uh, two years ago. A Pentium four yeah. rack mount PC that I built in like 1999.
2: Well, you're right. There hasn't been a lot of chip development from Intel, and they, you know, in fact, the rumor mill is, and I haven't read the latest on it or whatever, that they're going to outsource their chip design because uh, AMD has made uh, so much progress and is crushing them. So, if the next machine I look at will likely, you know, if I'm going to build another one, will have an AMD chip in it, but I I think the story was relating that if Intel kept doing their own chip design internally it would take them 20 years to catch AMD and meanwhile AMD is still going to be advancing so uh, yeah rumor is Intel's is going to outsource their chip design so that's going to be interesting
1: wow. holy crap the chip design company is getting someone else to design their chips for them that's bizarre isn't it
2: right right right
3: right I, for sure i think it i think it also speaks to the point of like you know, purpose built computers and matching the amount of power that's necessary. The reality is is that most people in the world are sitting on way more processing power than they need, even in their cell phone to some degree, but definitely a lot of them in their laptop computers and what you know, it's like watching Netflix and writing Word documents and emails. And even Source Connect doesn't need, you know, for ninety percent of the people, they are overpowered on their on their desktop computer, I'd say for sure. Mm-hmm. And so oh, man, like where's the new the and first where's, like
4: Source connect bridging kits we made for NAPSHIN that out of here were PowerBook G fours, little little twelve inch. G
3: fours. Yeah. And they
4: ran it beautifully. And that was a pretty anemic processor compared to anything from Intel.
3: I've worked at companies that have a phone system that they're super invested in, and the phone system's the size of a closet. And then 10 years later, you're like, oh, I can put that whole phone system in a Optiplex 280G uh, Pentium 4 computer. And then 10 years after that,
4: and now both those systems pie.
3: are still... <laughs> yeah, now, now the whole thing's in a Raspberry Pi, but I'm not even doing that because both those other systems are still running. The Pentium 4 right. and the thing that's right. the size of a closet. Right.
2: <laughs> it's like, it works. Yeah. It does yeah, its yeah. job. It's well, done. And that's why a lot of the ATM machines are still running Windows XP, though they don't want to admit it. Windows XP? <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, for sure. Is that right? Is that right? You've never, really? <laughs> yes. You've, you've never walked yeah. by an ATM machine and saw a Windows XP logo moving around on nice. it because it, it threw an error? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely all the time. That's it's, hilarious. Yeah, yeah.
3: It was a big security issue because they end of life to XP and those things oh, yeah, are just like sure. all of a sudden floating out there in the security universe. Yep. <laughs> that's a that's a
1: yeah. that's a fun little tidbit that people don't know. Meanwhile mind. all the yep. hackers have just, just shut down this podcast <laughs> yeah. and jumped onto their terminals. Wait,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, wait, 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 wait. Your mom's a hacker? Yeah, my mom's a hacker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the reality is you don't need to you don't need to find a flaw in Windows XP to get money out of an ATM machine. I mean, you just skimming is a whole lot easier. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Brad, I <laughs> yeah. wanted to ask you to to steer the direction a different way. Uh, why do people not get your freaking emails? I don't mean you specifically. Why do people right. just never see email half the damn time? When it comes from, seemingly from me, why don't they see it? And what have you done to deal with that problem?
2: That's a good point because we are supposed to be talking about marketing and I forgot. Um, so <laughs> people, people are sold on products because they're pretty shiny lights and features. And they, to, to, with all due respect to the consumers, that's all they know. Like they're going to say, oh, well, this does this. And they don't, one, know if they need that. They don't know if that's actually going to help, but it looks good or looks better than the product it sits next to that doesn't do that. And uh, the proof of it is, you know, when you look side by side and, and they'll say, well, our product versus theirs, and the one on the right always has more checks, so it must be better. So... The reason that emails will go to spam, are there are a plethora of things. People are using the wrong products, first of all. They're being sold a bill of goods, and that's my point to it. But when you use a product that bulk sends mail, they wanna make sure that you don't have to think and they can build a simpler product. So if you don't have to input settings, they're just gonna send the mail maybe out of their mail server, right? So you sign up for the product, you put together the stuff, you click send, and it's gonna all go out of their particular server. Well. When the company gets known for that, then hosting companies like my upper-level hosting or Google will be familiar with what those server addresses are. So we immediately route anything from those server addresses or from ultimately the range of IPs to the spam folder or to the promotions tab uh, inside of Google or even into the junk mail inside of you know, Gmail, Google promotions, Workspace, whatever updates, Google product you're using. Yeah, all those exactly. folders. Exactly, right, right, yeah. right. Yep, everything's going to get filed. And then... To cu- to couple that, you know, they use the you know other users that don't want it that might report it as spam. And what people don't realize is they think one individual like is going to make a decision on what is spam or is not. Now, there's one individual can make better choices to make their stuff not spam. And I realize I'm talking generic, but I'm gonna I get to the to the to the meat of it here in a second. But when you're dealing with something that is going to be classified as spam, there are RBLs, which are real-time blacklists that entire other companies all, all these hosting companies kind of talk together and there's this honeypot and everything kind of gets reported. So if I notice something is spam, then that goes into basically this database that is slurped up or sucked down by all these other hosting companies and we share information so we can help other users not get scammed by somebody's fraudulent you know, Amazon scheme or PayPal scheme. But when you're sending your mail, through a third-party mail client, like Apple Mail or Outlook or Gmail on your phone, there are keys that authenticate that mail. Then that mail is is from you and the header information details that it's from you. So the bunch of little tech stuff goes in it. I'm trying to keep it simple for people that listen. But ultimately that gets authenticated and it gets delivered. When you use most other providers, again, they, they wanna make it so simple where you sign up and just shove it out. They just want to sell you on the fact that you're able to email 10,000 people. They don't want to tell you that only maybe 20% of that is actually going to be seen and the rest of it's just all junk. It may even get rejected from the server altogether because servers will have gray listing on it. So a server will take a mail that it is not sure is legitimate or not and actually kick it back and say that this box doesn't exist. A real mail server will retry like every four hours over the course of four days and go, no, this is legitimate mail, send it back. And basically they, they push the mail back and forth like a hockey puck having a conversation until the receiving server says, every time I push it to you, you're giving it back to me. So this must be legit. But when you use these other products that push mail out, the minute that server kicks it to them, it just goes into the ether. It's gone. They don't ever try to relay it or resend it or anything else. So they're not deliverable. It's marked as spam. It's coming from the wrong server addresses. Basically, the servers all know it's not coming from you, even though they've sold you that bill of goods. And so your mail doesn't get seen. So you need to fix that. And you would fix that by... Having the mail that you send actually come from you. Having the, the 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 SPF record, the DKIM, and the DMARC all in place, having everything authenticate and 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 having it come from you, sending one mail at a time uh, to that person from you. A lot of people will get that when they're using these programs, they'll see you know, inside of Gmail, it'll say on behalf of and then have their name and it'll have two addresses. And that that means the header information is incorrect, that somebody is sending this on behalf of this person, but it's it's not really that person. It's like going to see a movie and realizing the fake Tom Cruise is in it, so it's not quite as good. Um, Or maybe the movie that Tom Cruise is in isn't that good at all either. But um, if you can authenticate all that and the users get what they want and... And it, it'll, it'll pass through. So we spent a lot of time in making our particular platform for upper-level CRM. We, we built an online SaaS platform that is basically, it's an online third-party mail client. With the exception of, we do all the automation before, and then it gets mailed out. But it gets mailed out literally through your server. So if you're on Gmail or G Suite or Google Workspace, uh, you sign into Google, just like you normally would in a browser, and... Our automation does all the packaging of everybody you put in a list, and it sends them one at a time. And then we look at trying to understand, I don't know how long you want the answer to be, we look at trying to understand what is <laughs> what do some of these other companies realize are triggers for spam? And that's getting 80,000 messages or even 10,000 messages or even 800 message, messages from one user in their queue all at once. So we deliberately put a four-second pause in between ours, which is all customizable. You can change the setting if you want. But it's customizable, so th- their queue has a chance to process it and kind of forgets that you've sent an email. That way, if you have more than one mail going to Gmail...
4: It's a mail robot. Yeah. It's a mail robot. And, and, and I, I put it into play this, this uh, holiday to send out a, you know, a promo email or two to, I think, 900 people. You know, not ridiculous list. But it's remarkable because those emails look absolutely indistinguishable from being directly from me. And in, f- in fact, a few clients were, you know, they would reply with a very cordial, personal message because it it came from me. And um, but it was incredibly effective because I knew they were getting those emails. And normally, if they came
3: from, can you can you even get the verifications?
4: Yeah, um, and I, I I've sent email from Mailchimp not knowing if they get it. I also have a CRM that I've currently been using for booking services for four years and hope to be moving on from very soon um, that sends email from no-reply at visita.com, right? And those damn emails get blocked by like Hotmail and some servers just, they graylist or blacklist them and they never see them and it's so frustrating When I don't know if anybody's getting my message, if they're seeing the reminders for their appointment, if they're getting the instructions on how to book the appointment, you know, on and on and on and on. So I've just seen how incredibly valuable this is.
2: Thanks. It boils down really to I think everybody has forgotten the purpose of sending the mail. And the purpose of sending email to begin with, if you're the sender, is to have the message received in the inbox and be read. Like those are your first three goals, and if you're doing anything as a service that isn't delivering those three goals, then the people are just paying for a product that isn't going to isn't going to serve them well. So you have to build something that's going to do those. And people are, I think, Robert, you were mentioning, you know, if you get like, uh, you were saying like receipts or or things like that. What what was your question?
3: Well, like like you can get a verification that an email has been opened. There's there's ways to send emails so that. You, you find out if it's been read or not, or it opened at least? So
2: the short answer is yes. Um, there is a way to do that. The way that is currently implemented by many or most companies is flawed and the data is garbage. So typically what they'll do is they'll load a, a clear pixel, uh, a one by one pixel. And when you open the mail, it triggers that image from the server to load. And that says, oh, somebody's read the mail. And so that is one of those features I was talking about that is listed and people love it but it's garbage. Nobody tests products. So first of all, any product that you ever use, if it's going to store your data, put some data in it and immediately try to export your data out. Look at the export and see what you're left with. Because if you're ever going to leave that platform, this is what you're going to have to work with. No one checks that stuff. Secondly, they never check up on features and how they do. Like, is it deliverable or not? Um, So with this pixel tracking, the problem is, that we've used all of these products, and there's actually an independent article that, that confirms all of this, but we used all these products, opened up a Gmail address that no one had any access to but me. I'm the only one with the password. No one logged in. The Gmail address was never used. Every single product on the market reported re- re- read receipts of at least three or more. Now tell me how that happens. Yeah. So it comes down to Google's algorithm and the proxy servers, the way they read that mail to learn more about you to serve ads triggers those pixel loads. So a machine that is reading your mail... Yeah, right. The machine that's reading your mail to learn more about you to selling ads is actually validating this other product that it's working and it's getting read when no one ever looked at your message. So that's 50% of the pie. I don't know how much Google actually has, but I'm going to call it 50% of the pie, probably more on, on lower to smaller companies, you know, Fortune 500 and smaller that you're getting false read receipts on. Now let's look at the other end of the equation, Fortune 500 companies that are running Microsoft Exchange servers. By default, Exchange servers with no Uh, settings needed from the IT guy installing them or anything else and even Outlook itself as a mail application doesn't load images by default. So now you're sending mail that is being read, but the pixel's not being loaded, so you're never notified of the read receipt. So the data that you're looking at is garbage six different ways from Sunday, and people are hanging on it like it's every, every breath of, of meaning. This guy checked me out five times. I'm on fire. I need to reach out to him on LinkedIn. Or I'm a suck. Nobody's listening to my stuff. I sent out all this mail, and, and, and it's not telling me that anybody read it. The real way to know if your email marketing is working is twofold. You're either A, going to get a genuine reply from a person, or B, that marketing message is ultimately going to cause a check to cross the desk. Those are two metrics you need to look at. Everything else is junk, for the most part. There are ways to actually track where a mail is being opened and who is opening it. We are currently waiting on a trademark from the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office to put that into our product. Um, so there are things out there that will do that and do it in a, in, a, in the right way. And I'm not going to say there's not any product out there that's not doing that right now, but the majority of what people are aware with, uh, do not operate in that fashion.
1: So tell me this then, I mean, we get, uh, the, the, the pro audio suite gets a 60% open rate of our emails. So mm-hmm. three of our mums. so you, so you think, three. well, th- yeah, three of our mums <laughs> are opening them to uh, one isn't, um, uh-huh. So, how do we substantiate any of that then? And, and also, what does that mean? Does that mean anything then? Clearly, from what you've said, it actually means nothing, really.
2: Well, I mean, if anything that doesn't lead to business, unless you're doing this for not business or for some other reason, that, that you know, whatever you're marketing for, anything that doesn't lead to your net result it isn't working for some reason, whether it's the the technology that you're using or, you know, whatever it is. So if you want more action and actionable items, there's many, many things you do. One use the right product that is going to get your message seen. Because if nobody reads your message, no one can act on your message. And uh, again, you know, I'll use George as an example. He switched to using this mailer and I, I asked him, and this is what I think other people should do as far as research in their own marketing, ask questions to your clients. Like People don't do that enough. And I'll, I can elaborate more on that later. But I literally asked George at the beginning, I said, All right, you're going to use this I want to know how it performs. I want to know like how many, if you're okay with telling me, and if you don't want to give me a number, don't give me a number, but I want to know how many of these things you would normally book when you would do this marketing email. And then I want to know how many of these things you book after you use our platform. And again, if you don't want to give me a real number, then you can say I would, I doubled what I did or I tripled what I did, but he was kind enough to share a real number. And it was a dramatic uh, increase um, uh, over what he did, not like, not like, even just a fifty percent. And he can correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm remembering the conversation. But uh, it was, it was, it was vastly significant over what he would normally do. And so that tells you that a product works. What percentage, George? Without giving away like actual numbers, was it? Was it double? Was it two times? Was it three times? What What, what did it end up being? And if I it sucks, give away say it numbers,
4: sucked. man, because I don't know.
2: <laughs> I don't want you to give away. <laughs> but numbers, I'll be but... honest.
4: It was more. It was definitely <laughs> okay, more. Cool. I mean, the fact that. I was getting, um, I used it to help promote.
2: Was it significantly more or just some uh, more?
4: I, I don't, I can't, I don't have any, I don't have hard information right. to quantify. All but right. I will say cool. that the impression that I have was it was quite effective. And, um, you know, I've used, I've used the traditional mailers before to promote things and promote a webinar or something with very, you know, very minimal to low results. And then, I was pushing a webinar I was producing or not or, or doing produced by Voiceover Extra um uh and giving a like a last minute push like it's tomorrow night everybody and I had I think we added like 30 sign ups like in one night mm-hmm. and I had to think Thank you, well it must be working because we've already reached <laughs> all these people in some form or another I mean we've We've mm-hmm. hit everything. We've been on all socials, and John sent out his mailing list, and all this stuff. And we've we've scoured the internet, you know. And where did we do? We shook the tree and found thirty signups overnight. So I, I think it worked. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, clearly it worked. Thanks.
2: I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And
1: now George is going on holidays to the Bahamas for six months. So. <laughs> That's right. I'm, I'm getting ready to do another webinar. That's what that means. That's exactly what that means. Yeah. Thank you. You better believe it. I'm going to do another
4: webinar soon because it was a highly successful venture. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be doing more because I can reach these people and I know they're going to get my messages.
2: And that that becomes the PR positive of people on Facebook talking about the stuff that we do. And they inherently then grow, you know, your business and your audience for you with no sales force. And uh, you can't ask for more than that. Word of mouth advertising is still the best method of reaching somebody. And You know, some people may say, well, email isn't word of mouth, but if you deliver a message that looks personable, even though it's coming from you, uh, it does, it gets better actions. I send out those emails, even service reminders to my existing hosting clients, and people will reply and be like, Brad, thank you so much for taking the time and, you know, having the ball and knowing what to do with it. And I'm like, I got to scroll down to see what the message was because it was scheduled weeks ago. I don't even know what they're talking about. So it's great.
0: I was going to say, um, I, I saw a, a message come through, and I could have completely misunderstood everything you just said. But um, it's uh, from Mailchimp, and the address is actually the person' uh, his, mm-hmm. you know, his normal mail uh, email address. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. it, 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 is that explain that one? Is that the the right way to go, or is that also an issue?
2: You may think it's from the person, but the server uh, likely knows that it doesn't. And so, if you look at the headers, and you actually open the email. Uh, and look at those headers, then you'll see that it was sent on behalf of or a different server address and how it was routed or, or whatnot. But it also looks like a newsletter. And so let's talk about it from a consumer's perspective. Nobody's going to open the headers and look at stuff. Fine, you got wh- whoever it was got through your server. I would start now to question your hosting company uh, that you're hosting with, and maybe you need to switch to upper level because that kind of junk really shouldn't be getting through to you. But with that said, from a consumer perspective, right, looking at the message, and I don't have it in front of me, you can confirm this for me, does it look like someone wrote that and typed it to you? Or does this look like uh, almost, like I'm going to call it a newsletter or a concert poster from you know, maybe the 80s that Has some info, you know, uh, in it that you would see taped on a phone pole.
0: It's an EDM that's been sent out, but I was just uh-huh. curious about the address where it says reply to, and I can see uh, the address there is his email address.
4: Yeah, that's right. But I, explain so. the difference between a reply to and yeah, because you can set a reply to in a MailChimp system, right, where it will show a personal, but why that? Why is the reply
2: to not really useful? But what's the from address on that email? Can you see yeah, that? Yeah, well,
4: that's what I'm looking at. I can see...
0: Uh, I'm just wondering what the gmail.com... There's a gmail address that's kind of hidden. I'm trying to actually get in there to have a look, but I can't seem to open that area. It's
4: getting harder to see the headers unless you really know where to look, isn't
2: it? Yeah, but I, I just meant like in the, in the from line, looking right at the message like inside of whatever client you're looking at. Um, and sometimes, you know, Gmail tries to have more visibility of things in their, in their real estate as far as screen space goes. So on their mobile app, for example, you have to click like three times to even see where something is coming from when you compose a message even they kind of start to hide that info. but Just take a step back, Brad, to what you were saying a minute ago. Are you, are you
1: saying then that if we're doing a newsletter, because we've actually just started doing a Pro Audio Suite newsletter, if we do a newsletter and the mail server on your end decides that, this, that the content of that email looks like a newsletter, it may also head to the junk. Is that right?
2: Yeah, so it depends really on what users do as a whole. And so the very first thing we would do is if we think it's spam, we will deliver it to the user's inbox, but we identify it with three asterisks, the capital word spam and three more asterisks to really point out to the person that this is probably something commercial related. Um, So if it's not fraudulent, okay? So if it's your Pro Audio Suite newsletter, we let that pass, but we kind of mark it as spam. And then you can choose, no, I want to see this and it'll no longer show up as spam, or I don't want to see this, and then it goes to the junk folder, not only for you, but the more people that decide they don't want to see it, not only for our server as a whole, but it starts to to grow out to the internet, kind of like propagation happens when you make a change. It starts to spread like a virus where all of these people say they don't wanna see this and then it ends up on blacklists and real-time blacklists or even worse, somebody on your hosting environment because you decided to do a newsletter and maybe you're doing it through a MailChimp or a Constant Contact or whatever, but if you're sending it from your mail server, then you may even blacklist the IP address of all the other people that are on that sending legitimate mail. So it can cause a problem in a lot of different ways, but I can't say that it's not gonna work some, that's like saying there's no red cars on the internet. I can't say that, I can't quantify it. I don't have enough data to prove that, right? But what I can tell you is that in general, newsletter-based marketing versus uh, a more direct approach of me sending one individual email to you based on the results that we've tested, your individual personalized email works better. And if you want to quantify that, I guess unscientifically, you could do a poll if you want to spend the money, but I haven't. Ask people on the street, do they prefer a personal individual connection with somebody or do they prefer just sanitized mass uh, customer service? And so even if you pose the question in customer service ways, right? People are going to say, well, I I want this customized personal service. They want to feel special. They want to feel recognized. They want to feel like they're heard. So the more you do that, even in a marketing sense, it only makes sense just from what you know to be logical, like from just being a human perspective, as far as what you would want yourself, if even if you just ask yourself that question, I don't think anybody's like, oh no, you know what I want to do today? I want to be treated like a number, not like a person. Somebody not hear what I say and have to get it corrected five times because nobody does their job right. Or I want somebody to blatantly scream at me on the corner with a yellow sign that says there's a furniture sale here. Like that isn't going to make me go in and buy quality furniture. Um, Nobody likes to be sold to and all the VOs and all the ad agencies. And I think all of us know hard sell advertising doesn't work. Like that's why you've seen this whole push and shift in VO from conversational to millennial to now they want an intern that has never read anything, didn't even look at the copy that has maybe gum in their mouth, read the script. And that's what they want um, because they want it to sound more everyday personal. And so why wouldn't you do that in your email marketing? The counterpoint of that though
1: is, isn't it, that they'll sit down in front of Facebook or LinkedIn and watch this pumped out, sanitized, designed for the world advertising on social media, anything but personal.
2: Well, because that 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 brings you something else though. That brings you joy. It's all about dopamine release and you being nosy and wanting to see what is perceived at least going on in somebody else's world. So it's feeding you uh, many different things on a different level. So instead of the personalization rather that somebody is getting, you're getting now something that might make you smile or chuckle or laugh, get a hit of dopamine or uh, allow you to read somebody's comment. And if, if, if we're being honest, most of the content that we may absorb is just so we can uh, be snarky to somebody else. Like, oh, I can't believe they did that and gripe about them behind their back. So it is still feeding your need. It's just feeding a different need. You know, instead of treating you nicely and personally, now it's it's feeding a different monster, uh, which is you feeling like you're right or you're validated because you don't believe in what they did or in the fact that you enjoy it. And it brought maybe uh, an escape from maybe your work day and a smile with a kitten and some dopamine release. And so like Facebook has study after study after study, and you can Google on it how its it, is, it, it, it Each like and each interaction and each notification can become to where it feeds you to want more of that, and it just continues to draw you in. So they're just feeding your desires in a different way. It's still your desire.
0: So if they want the intern chewing gum who's never seen the script before for uh, advertising, do you have to send out the email with bad grammar and spelling mistakes?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Are you having a go at me? (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there are people that try to correct everything. Um, I, I don't. I literally sit down like I'm going to type one email and that becomes my template. Now I will copy that at least into Microsoft Word and, and F7 it just to uh, like, oh, it wants uh, an apostrophe or I, I put the word and twice because I don't want to look like a, a moron, but I do want to seem personal and I will use texting shortcuts in email. Like if that's what I would normally do, because a large percentage of people are consuming email or writing email on their mobile devices. And you see those numbers skyrocketing. So if the reality is that I am writing this or the impression is I am writing this from my mobile phone, then wouldn't I then mimic how I write that on a mobile phone? Sure. So yeah, you don't don't need to be perfect in your grammar. You just need to be you. And all of that boils down to being personal, personable, and authentic. And if you do those things that's really when people start to think they're not being sold to. And God forbid we want them to think we're selling to them.
4: Who was the actor that said, uh, the key to being a great actor is being authentic? And once you learn how to fake that, You've nailed you know, you're,
2: you're, you're right. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember, there's some,
4: some, some uh, like Bob Hope or something. I don't know, somebody said that. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with being able to get more done. And I like the, the, um, the, the basically the phrase, and I got this from Warren Buffett, that it doesn't matter if you have a billion dollars, you literally can't buy more time. Um, but he's, he's right. Like, we all do things for money but you can't buy more time. So all you can do is try to be more efficient with your time. And you see a progression that makes sense in history and history repeats itself. And that progression might be that, you know, uh, back in the day, 20 years ago, a guy that was running a company would have a receptionist because she had to type things. And if there was an error and there was no correction tape before that, you got to retype it. It takes time, right? So you need a person to do those things. Then you see the same progression, like in your doctor's office, they used to, uh, you know, have a recorder that would run while they talked to you. And then somebody else, Uh, basically would take that dictation and they would transcribe it later. And what do you see now? You see the doctor sitting in front of a laptop typing while they talk to you. So those are ways that you're able to use, you know, technology with some people to get more done. But it's really gotten to a point where you don't even need the person to type that stuff. Like you can type that template. And then if you do it right, the machine can say, Hey Bob, last time we talked about notes inserted from uh, row three, you know, or whatever, the you know note column this, and it will literally go through and talk about your last conversation. It will know that uh, that his daughter Jenny has a birthday coming up in thirteen or fourteen days, and will say, you know, ha- you know, I hope your daughter has an amazing birthday instead of a Happy New Year, like like. All of these decisions can be made and you don't need an AI to do it. You can work it with a logic tree. But even if you wanted an AI to do it, you can write a SaaS application that can be put on Amazon's AWS and they literally will give you access to Alexa. So you can have an AI without even having to write an AI. So there's so much that can be done, yet these companies, they don't even realize the possibility and then they don't, they don't package it in the right way where it... it they check all the boxes, cross all the uh, T's and dot all the I's to make sure that it's executed in, in the right way. So uh, a quick example of that is the danger is the more data that you're gonna populate in this template, there better be data in that field that makes sense. Otherwise you're gonna look like a fool. So we have three to four different checks that we run and you literally have to clear what we call pre-flight in our system, which will say, you're calling this field, this field has no data. And it's going to make you look dumb. And so it will not only call it out to you, but even if you decide that you know better and to process it, it's going to skip it. And at the end of your mailing, it's going to say we delivered 700 and we skipped this many because we told you you were making a mistake and you didn't listen. 99% of the time we let the user decide what they want to do. And if they choose to look like a fool, then we're going to let you because we don't think we're arrogant enough to know what is right for you. So at the end of that, when we skip and we show you examples of those skips, if you still say, this is correct and I wanna do it, then click a button and it'll go, cause you know better. But most of the time it's, you know, somebody calling in something that's not there or they have a comma and there's no name and you've seen it before, it's high. And then literally it'll say like first name in brackets or it'll be high space comma space because they won't even trim the space out of their own script if you didn't have a first name. And it looks then automated and you lose the entire goal of what you're going after.
3: Or it's worse because it becomes obvious that you're trying to seem genuine. And
2: now it's in,
3: obviously ingenuine. It backfires even more than the forgivable
2: automated system that's supposed to be automated. Right, so you have to put those checks in place and at the end of the day, if the user says like, no, I know better, I'd send it anyway. Well, then so be it. Our system will do it because we don't want to tell you no. Um, that's actually one of our mission statements is not to tell the user no. There are systems out there, lots of them, that require fields that are not necessary. To create a new record, you don't need to require any specific field. You just need one piece of data. That's it. It doesn't have to be the email address or it doesn't have to be the first name or the last name, but... People will build applications on top of other frameworks like Laravel to speed their progress along. And they require every field to be filled in that you put in the thing. And it's like, so literally there are talent using platforms that put garbage in a field because they can't submit the record without it. Like that just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't, I don't know what's, what's the thought process behind this. Like no one uses what they program here. That's, that's the thing. From a programming perspective, it may make logical sense. But you should be programming your product from the user's perspective. And if you're not making it where it's intuitive for the user and easy for the user and where it makes sense and it's flexible enough for the user, then you're programming it wrong. So I tell my guys over and over and over, if I have to choose between making it harder on you to write or harder on the computer to process, I'm going to choose those over making it harder on the human every single time time. So I push them to where I have an ask and it's like, I want this. And literally they're like, we don't know how to do that. And it's not that they don't know how to do that. Like it's not on Stack Overflow. It's not on other applications. There's no samples of it. Like no one seems to be doing it, at least that we can find any sort of example to. So we have to we have to then kind of like write along and kind of make it up and then make it better. Um, I can imagine that was a lot of what you guys did like with Source Connected. There wasn't another product that maybe you could get, you know, specifics from. You were kind of paving away as you as you created something uh, new and awesome. We came out
3: the same year or a year after, I'm, I'm not sure, but right around the same time as Skype. And so a lot of the stuff that we built, we made up ourselves and and and, you know, there's, that there's advantages to that and disadvantages to that. We're taking very <laughs> yep. much a hybrid approach because yep. there's a lot of really good stuff that we did, industry specific, that you don't carry the baggage on when you're trying to piggyback on other systems. That, you know, like, sure, they're great for communications, but that's what they're for. And they do that too well in your case. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely see what you're saying. It's all about, like, basically following the user's story and then. You know, the the, the user is going to find a way to do what they need to do, and then within that is the product. And it might be multiple stories that create that product.
2: Right. The thing that I find, though, is that no one makes it easy enough to give the user what they want and find their pain point. And that kind of ties us back to the beginning of what we talked about in marketing, where users will use a product and find a workaround, but they shouldn't have to find a workaround. The system, if programmed properly, can be, especially in a SaaS environment, can be flexible enough to allow the user what they want to do. That's that's the pain point in their story. Is what? And therein lies the, the product. Yes. Yes, exactly. That's right. And so they shouldn't have to do that. Now, every product is going to have that, even ours. But how can we address it? So the first three features that we put in weren't features for us. They weren't necessarily features for the user, but they are for the user. They were about identifying and helping build a better relationship with the consumer of our product to deliver what they want. So we literally built a genie that grants wishes in the system. You can click it and you can ask a question, report a problem or have it do something for you and it will literally do the work. So there's a genie in there. Um, When you request a feature that goes in, and this is not a new idea, it goes into what we call feature scale where the ideas are kind of listed out and users can upvote them so we can see what specific features users want. That's not a new idea, it's out there. I believe we've done a little twist or a take on it that makes ours better, Um, but the idea itself isn't new. And then we have WIT, which is our smart automation assistant that goes through and automates things of your data that you didn't even know. When you import your data, if there is an error in your data that we can identify, then it will kick that to repairs. A lot of systems will show you your errors, but they make you fix it right then and there before you can move on. Ours sits in a separate location and it's all linked in and tied in or whatever. But you, if you have a hundred repairs, you can tackle five of them a day, one a day. They can sit there. You don't have to fix them and the system will still run. You can come back to it and do it as you want or not. So... Um, But if we can fix it for you and identify the problem, then WIT will automatically fix it. And then WIT can do a bunch of other stuff, like maybe automatically find out where this contact is located using other internet methods to add a time zone to your record that you don't even have data on. So now we're making your data better. And we only do it when it's accurate. And that may be important because you might want to schedule that mail. And instead of using every other cheap mail system that the minute you hit send blows out everything to everybody all at once, well, if it's eight p.m. on the East Coast on a Friday, it's five p.m. in California, and it's uh, five or six hours uh, later in in Paris.
3: If everyone gets the same email at the same time, that's another tip off that it's that it's a mass
2: mailing. So, especially if it's the m- multiple people in the same office. Right? Like, so yeah, you email exactly. Bob and Jim and Jenny at the same office. What's that? What's an right? office? Right, exactly. Or on the same team is what I should say, where they, they, they start to chat and they're like, hey, I just got this email from Brad. And the person will, so did I. So you have to make the system smart enough to go, all right, I want to add a rule. And so you add rules by default that make the, it easy for the user. So they don't have to set all of this stuff up from scratch. And you allow them to take the, the rule off if they don't want it, but a, a rule that might be installed by default is I don't want to email even if I've told you I want to email these 800 people. If there's I don't want to email any more than one person at the same company. So if that happens and it says Oh well you've already emailed Robert at Source Elements, so I'm not going to email any of you know Rebecca or anyone else because Robert already has it. And so it will sit on that message for X amount of days that you define. And again, all of that is in the rules, so it's super flexible. So Robert didn't follow back up with me, but Rebecca gets hit in 17 days and she does. So it's even better to scatter those actually, not because you don't wanna look bad, but because you're changing the frequency and the time of when you do stuff. And just like you post to social media at different days and different times, you wanna catch people with your email at different days at different times. I personally don't email people on Mondays and Fridays. I don't email them early because that's when most of the spam goes out. And what do you do every day? Look at your own habit. You open your laptop, you open up your email, in comes all your junk, your fingers on the delete key, and it's delete, 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 delete. Then it's like, all right, it's Monday. I got to fix all this crap from the weekend. So I only email people on Tuesday, between Tuesday and Thursday, between the hours of like maybe 11 and 2, the recipient's local time zone. And I can cue all that up when I want to. Friday night, eight o'clock, glass of wine in hand or a scotch or a margarita. And then the system just constantly checks the rules. Yeah. And when it matches something, it blows it out.
4: I love time shifting, uh, replying to emails. Like I'll, I'll mm-hmm. you know, not using your system, but just using Gmail. I just, I just, I'll reply to emails after say six or seven sometimes. And I will it, send in the morning because I, I don't mm-hmm. want the impression that I never stop working. And you know how yep. it is when you send an email, someone will reply and then there's an expectation of a, a, it becomes a conversation.
2: So like what you just said, though, becomes great feedback that I never even thought about. I always looked at it as I wanted to deliver it when it was good for them. But you hit on another great reason to use the same great tech. And that is so your email gets delivered later for your convenience. So you don't have to have that perception that you are going to work those off hours. That's that's genius. But no one takes the time to understand from their user any of that.
4: Yeah, I mean, I'm subtly manipulating the situation to... Well, my advantage but also to theirs, because if they reply to that email right away and I don't reply to it till tomorrow, then it's like, Oh well George doesn't want to talk to me. It's like he replied. Yeah, once or worst and they case disappear. over the
2: weekend or over a holiday or right. anything else. But you know, if, and it, if it I it don't reply a, it at it all,
4: then there's not an expectation that I'm gonna be in a conversation with them. So I don't have to make a French exit or whatever, and the next morning they get that email reply. And then they reply to it the next morning, and then I sit down for my for my with my coffee, and I have ten answers, you know, to all the emails I sent last night. So that's been a really important thing to me. It just it just better manages when people expect to hear from you, and when you're trying. I mean, I, I mean, I hate as much as I hate to admit it. I still run my life out of my damn inbox. Everything just happens in that inbox, you know. It's it's still the center of all my communication. You know, voicemail comes there, texts come there, uh, you know. My CRM scheduling system goes to that inbox. It's all in there. It's a zero inbox situation. If it's in there, I haven't done it yet. Right. So that's kind of how my run I run my life. Still,
2: still, you can put every possible automation solution and check in place. And if the user you know, does a bad job in using it, then it still may not work. And what I mean by that is, even if you're typing this personal message, owning an audio post studio, I can tell you the messages I get from voice talent. And so if voice talent are listening to this, they they might want to you know, pay attention at this moment. It's, hi, my name is so-and-so, and I have a professional a studio at home with Source Connect. Uh, Do you have a roster of talent that I can be repped on or something along that? Well, first of all, why would I assume that you weren't a professional voice talent? I don't know why you felt the need to maybe call that out. Uh, Second of all, if you want to tell me that you're a professional LA-based voice talent, um, you don't need any of that in the paragraph at all. All of that can fit in your signature line. So that goes to respecting the other person's time That is going to read your message. So put your ask up front. And one way to get your ask up front is by not putting all the nonsense about you in your email at all, not after it. So in your signature line, you can put, you know, Brad Newman. Uh, LA-based voice talent with Insert Fancy Agency. I'm with here. Source Connect: colon ID. Boom. And so I think your Source Connect ID deserves to be in your signature line, right along your web address, your phone number, your email signature. Especially since COVID, it's become ubiquitous. Um, so put it all in there. You. Uh, that tells me if I know what Source Connect is, then I'm going to know what you mean by that. And if I don't, then maybe I'm going to reply and ask the question. Well, guess what? Good for you. Now you've got me to reply. But nonetheless, if I see it and I don't know what it is, it sure isn't going to look bad on me. And I'm not saying you got to go including a big badge of saying you're this and you're that. Just just put the text. Stay away from SC together and the ID because everybody's going to think that's Snapchat. Uh, But otherwise, you know, and then you can make the, the meat of the message something meaningful. And instead of selling yourself, people love to tell you how they're right. So maybe you ask a question and three years ago, that question might've been, Hey, Bob, I understand you're very busy. I want to respect your time. Uh, One question, even a one word answer is appreciated. Do you find the work that you're casting to be more union or non-union based? Again, a one word answer is greatly appreciated. Thanks so much. They're going to hit reply and they're going to type union, send. Like, you're going to get a higher response rate and you ask a question. Now, why is that important? You got their signature line, you got a whole bunch of other data. Maybe you've got their Twitter, their Instagram, their LinkedIn, you know, other things that you might not otherwise know. Maybe even their cell phone number um, that you will choose to use at an appropriate time and you're not going to abuse that. But if you type a bad email, it doesn't matter what system you use, it's still going to get people to just hit delete.
0: So if anybody wants to get hold of you, Brad, what's the best way?
2: Um, so you can go to upperlevelcrm.com, um, and you can email me or you can call me. The info is just plainly written. Um, that's the shortest method. It's Brad at upperlevelcrm.com, or there's a phone number there too. Um, give a call, shoot a text, drop an email, whatever. Six four six eight two zero twenty twenty nine. And yes, uh, auto Brad will reply to your text at two in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, that was fun. Is it
4: over?
2: The Pro Audio Suite
0: recorded using Rode NTG5s and Source Connect. Edited by Andrew Peters and mixed by Voodoo Radio Imaging. With tech support from George the Tech Witam. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and join in the conversation on our Facebook group. To leave a comment, suggest a topic, or just say good day. Drop us a note at our website, ProAudiosuite.com.